Hey friends, thanks for tuning into this episode. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up before this one starts. Uh, I do apologize. You see, Liesl is a wonderful and awesome human who took time out of out of her weekend to to spend to, to to chat with me and 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 you know is just it's not fair to her that I was having some technical difficulties that resulted in some difficult audio quality here. I've done what I could to patch it up. Uh, in general, I'd like to think, I hope that in general, the the even though the arc of improvement may be slow, that it's that it's um, you know toward improvement <laughs> with this show's audio quality, volume, and otherwise. But uh, yeah, so, so I really am sorry, and especially I'm sorry to Liesl that that I didn't do a better job with this one. I hope that the tweaking that I did with the the audio afterward made it uh, at least reasonably palatable because. Uh, I really enjoyed chatting with Liesl. She's a lovely person. I think this is a very enjoyable interview. If you can get past my my poor job with the 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 audio um, quality. Um, that said, here it goes. Here's the episode. Enjoy it, and thanks again, and have a good one. Bye bye. says Liesl with a soft S um, and occasionally people say it with a hard S and it sounds really cool to me but mm. definitely use a soft S I guess because that's that's what it really is I suppose <laughs> yeah yeah am I remembering right that one of the one of the many children in the sound of music was named Liesl yeah the oldest oh uh, yeah the one who was 16 going on 17 right yeah yep yeah. spelled a bit differently from my name but oh uh, yeah yeah that one, that as far as musicals go, I don't know if it's the same experience for everybody, but I remember that being like the first musical that I was very enthusiastic about as a child, and I see that that's the same for my kids, and I know it was the same for my cousins, so I wonder if there's something, maybe because there are so many kids in it, maybe it makes it appealing for kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, comparatively to other musicals that you could have been watching. It's, yeah. It's very family-centered, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, so do you, do you, do you get, do you ever get like, uh, do you ever get into musicals yourself? Like was, uh, were you into sound of music and did you think to yourself like, I'm also Liesl? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly was special. It was a special part about me because, because I mean, you have the same name as a character <clears throat> on TV and, yeah. um, as far as, I mean, like I enjoy watching musicals, but I've never performed in one. So, but you have performed with bagpipes. Yeah. Tell me, well, tell me a little bit about that then, Liesl. I, I know, so what I know so far is that your family pronounces your name with a soft S and that you play bagpipes. So, fill in, fill in all the gaps for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, well, so, I was raised uh, homeschooled. Oh, were so you? I don't have, yeah. Do you I, feel like I, you turned uh, out normal all the, all the same? Yeah, I mean, there's some, <laughs> I, some difference. I, 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 I say that, what's the word for it? Facetiously? I say that like, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Um. Yeah, because, I mean, I certainly know the stigma yeah. behind homeschoolers, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm, I'm the oldest of eight kids, and so my family is a little bit von trappy, I guess. Um, yeah, there's more connections there. Man, I, I don't mean to keep yeah. interrupting you, Liesl, but just imagining a homeschooling situation where you're the oldest of eight, did you find yourself becoming a teacher pretty quickly? Uh, 
I guess. I mean, so we didn't we didn't experience a lot of school at home when I was homeschooling. Like mm-hmm. when I, I mean, I have. I have four siblings that continued homeschooling after I got married and left the house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but while I was at home, it was more of a unschool experience where we um, kind of fell into learning rather than, rather than having a structured oh, situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm told that I taught my sister how to read, but mm-hmm. that's just because I was always reading around her, so... Yeah. That sounds really cool. Like I I don't know about other parents, but like I had never paused to question the schooling system until my own children were going into it. That mostly just that I have my my kids started out with bo- I started out with all boys. I feel like my daughter by the time she went to kindergarten, she was ready for it, in, you know, socially as well as intellectually, like totally ready to go. I'm not saying anything negative about my boys. I think just in general, my boys could have used two more years at home before going off yeah, out into the wild, you know? Yeah, yeah, and there is uh, something behind that. Boys um, maturing later than girls, and uh, it's just, you know, it's a different experience for them. It's it's really not, it's not the best for every child to be set into the same situation as their their age like they're they're put into age groups mm-hmm. to do their learning and and um and there's like if anybody's held back because they really need to be held back they're they're really ostracized because pretty of pretty heavy stigma there yeah 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 well so then you felt you fell into learning as a child that's that's a fun experience get carry yeah, on yeah, i'll try to i'll try to not interrupt you too much yeah so uh, when i was um when I was about 13 or 14, though, I had some neighborhood friends who were, of course, public schoolers. I don't think anybody in my close neighborhood um, really, really were into homeschooling, right? So, uh, we, they, they were, they started playing musical instruments in, in junior high mm. or in middle school, yeah. I guess it would be back then. Uh, so they were in middle school and, um, and when I, when I was getting, getting up to like ninth grade age, um, they invited me to come and play in the, in the, uh, what, high school band, I guess? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to learn the instrument, so, um, the, the, my friend was playing the trombone, and my dad had played trombone all through college, and so that's the instrument that we had available, Mm. and so I learned it and got into that. Um, Do you still play trombone at all? Uh, I play, like, you know, at Christmas and stuff. We have a, a set of Christmas music that I can play. I feel and like... Me and my dad and... Don't... Uh, don't You play with Wasatch and District, right? Yeah. Doesn't Bethea also play trombone? I feel like I saw videos of her playing trombone on social media not yeah. long ago. Yeah. Bethea is really, really a fun person. And um, we are... We're nearly the same, but <laughs> still so different, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So okay. yeah, she played trombone too. Oh, right um, on. But she was not the childhood friend that I have. <laughs> no. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah. So, and and my husband actually played trombone. Oh, really? Through high school and college too. So we've got a trio here that that we do occasional. That's the Christmas set. Christmas. It's you and your husband and your dad. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah, way that's cool. Fun. Um. So that started me on my musical path, 
um, really. I mean, before that, I did play a lot of piano. My dad, my dad was into piano as well, and mm-hmm. so I, I played piano occasionally, and it was really fun. And then I got into high school symphonic band, and um, it was the first uh, assembly of the year. So I was going to high school only for band. That was my one class that I left the house to go do. And then yeah. No, I, I, I remember the kids like that who would show up just for choir or something. It's like, who is that kid? That's a homeschool kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Weirdos. <laughs> yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was the first assembly of the school year, though, and that was the my first time ever hearing, like, a band, a pipe band play, because I was going to Ben Lomond High School up in Ogden. Oh, you went to Ben Lomond. Awesome. Right. So, yeah, we... Uh, that was kind of a serendipitous um, coincidence, I guess. But I then, wait, Liesl, what what years were you doing the high school program at Ben Lomond? Uh, I was a freshman in 2000, so um, I guess a graduate in 2004. Gotcha. Not a graduate, though, because I didn't take any history or math or anything, but yeah. So... I finished in 2004. I'm just curious because that's 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 around the same time period that I was that I would have interacted with Ben Loman High School pipe band sometimes myself as well. So that's oh yeah, yeah. but uh, it was what, 2004. What 2004 is yeah 2004 is when I entered the pipe band world in general and and that oh okay and since I was down in Payson you know Ben Loman was like the only other school program you know yeah exactly so very much aware of Ben Lomond, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we um we just missed each other, I guess. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. <clears throat> yeah. So I heard the pipe band play in the assembly, and I instantly needed to play that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I needed to play with that group. It was, uh, it was a very um. What is that phrase? It's. I mean, religious people call it a spiritual experience, but. Mm-hmm. It's like where you get chills all over your body, and you're like, "This is my calling. I'm meant to do this." You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, I felt that at that assembly, <laughs> and uh, the very next semester, I got into beginning pipe band. So. <clears throat> That's awesome. So yeah, the, that was, that was do you remember that being the kind of the first, uh, like I mean, surely you'd heard of bagpipes before then, but like, had you gone to like a Scottish festival or seen them in parades, and that was just a special moment where it really hit you, or was that like, it was really was, new. That was really my first exposure outside of, like, occasionally seeing one on a TV show yeah. or something. I've never seen one in person. I've never seen a person play bagpipes in person before that. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's super that was, cool, Liesl, because, like, I, I don't, I don't, there's no, I don't know if there's any way to gather empirical data for this, you know, but it just, it feels like, and maybe this is the case for a lot of other instruments, too. I don't, I don't know, but, it, like, it sounds to me like, like, I played trumpet when I was in junior high. I think kind of similar to your experience with trombone, where, like, my dad had played trumpet, and he had one, and that's basically why I played, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then, why, why bagpipes, you know? It feels like so many people have an experience like that, like, you know, even if it's a distant memory from when they were a small child, just a huge impression uh, when they went to a wedding or a funeral or in a parade or, or something, you know, where like, it wasn't just that's cool. It was, I need to do that. You know, like, yeah, it goes deep. <laughs> yeah. It's very emotional. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I got into the beginning band, um, I at first wanted to 
like, so I started learning the pipes, um, but I had my eye on the tenor drum. And so interesting. So the first semester I was on my chanter, but I was watching the pipe band and I'm like, you know what? I think next semester, next term I'm switching to the Mm. tenor drum. So I bought a pair of mallets, um, but somebody else, I, I don't remember the exact situation, but like somehow they ended up with my mallets and, uh, I already had my chanter, and so they learned tenor drum, and I continued on the chanter. <laughs> like somebody else in the class? Yeah. Yeah, somehow. I mean, maybe I lent them to them, or they needed them for something, and, like, I just never got them back. I don't know. Wow. What a, what a twist of fate there. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you ever so, been able to go back to tenor since then, or was that just kind of... That was that. Yeah, certainly, yeah. And okay. uh, in 2016, I started, um, I started learning tenor. Oh, and, good. Because I was going to yeah. say, if you never got to, we got to start a GoFundMe to get you your own mallets or something. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I have like six pairs of mallets. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually the the lead tenor for Wasatch and District at this point. So oh, are you? See, Lisa, I'm, I've seen I've seen you play pipes. I've seen you solo on your pipes. I didn't realize that you played tenor, so that that's awesome. You're the, you're the lead tenor, huh? That's a great. Yeah, it's it's been really fun, and um, people ask me all the time if I had to choose one or the other, um, which one would I pick? And um, I can't. I have to do mm. both. I'm a I'm a piper and I'm a tenor drummer. Not to mention a, a, a trombone player as well. <laughs> yeah. Can't leave that out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't wear t-shirts to say I'm a tenor. <laughs> right, yeah. Player. It's not as impressive. <laughs> yeah. That, that is, a, that is a, a funny thing, right? Like, what are all the elements that make it so that we identify as pipers and drummers, you know? Um, yeah. Where, like, I bet that there probably are people in the world who identify, you know, them like a core part of their their what they are is you know i am a bassoonist you know um oh yeah but of course we're in our world and so it seems like that's unique to what we do right yeah 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 so the the that's where i started does the trombone is does the trombone play in is it a b-flat instrument yes well that's convenient have you ever done uh some trombone and and b-flat bagpipe stuff no i i just got I mean, I've I've never played with somebody that that uh, has a B flat bagpipes, I guess. Um, so I've never paired that, and I just got my first B flat chanter last year too. So I mm. haven't had much experience playing with my husband or my dad on there either. But I now know it's possible. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That'd be something to try out. Well, let's see. Wasatch and District does their summer concert in the park thing, right? Yes. Well, between you and Bethia, like either one of you can hop on the pipes and the other on the trombone. You could you could bust out some cool stuff for that concert, huh? Oh my gosh! I well, want to see that's it. That's a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. So yeah, that's... take note. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, we're um every now and then when we're planning that concert, we throw out the idea we should have like a like smaller ensembles or bring in different instruments there was one year that we did bring in different instruments we had a mandolin player in our pipe band for a minute oh that was Aaron right I saw I saw a video from that one yeah Yeah, and that was a really fun experience like even for the pipers like we're we're just used to hearing pipes but hearing 
the mandolin and the pipes and the the drum. Oh, right. Somebody had a, like a hand drum of some kind, like a djembe or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah, a djembe. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was really, really fun for everyone in the band to see, too. And um, I just want to, like, every now and then we talk about bringing stuff like that back. But then it always ends up that we're, like, three weeks away from the concert time mm. date, and we're, like, scrambling. <laughs> so relatable. I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like every time it's fine. Like we just fill time with common marches. We just got to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna start preparing for that way earlier. Yeah. So so while you're lead tenor drummer, I'm sure that keeps you busy on competition days. But are you still able to go solo on your pipes in between the band competitions, or, or do you, do you solo on tenor too? Do you like to compete there? Uh, yeah, so I haven't soloed, I didn't solo last year, but the year before that, I soloed on my pipes and on the tenor drum, and, mm. well, no, not the year before that, before COVID. Oh, yeah, Co- COVID makes it weird, right? It's was like, the last mm. time, yeah. <laughs> so that was the last time I uh, soloed on both, but it's pretty easy to do on both of them, because, I mean, if you know your music, it's, yeah. you just, I don't know, the times usually line up really well, drummers don't don't often go at the same time as the grade four pipers. Mm-hmm. So. But do you, man, I, I feel suddenly like I've, like I'm being somehow discriminatory that I can't even think of having watched very closely tenor drumming solos. And so like, I have a very clear picture in my head of how the, the side drum solo goes. Um, I'm assuming you have a piper play with you, right? Yeah, we have, we have a pipe accompaniment and, um, and a snare. I don't know. I think the snare is required because you have to... Really? Yeah, well, now I feel like very silly. Like, how... Decades, and I haven't known this? I've, that's on me, man. So so, you, <laughs> so you're so you a three-part setup there. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's really fun. My first solo I went on with, with my drum, um, I had a snare and a piper, and um, it didn't... I don't know why we weren't exactly synced up. Maybe we just didn't have enough practice time together. Mm. And so I got I got them both together so that they could play the accompaniment part, and I recorded it, and then I just used the recording for my subsequent sure. solos after that. And it was it was really, really easy after that. Yeah. Know? No, that, that makes but, sense. I mean, it almost feels like cheating to have a right. recording. <laughs> yeah. But, they felt better about it. They're like, I'm really sorry I screwed that up for you. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I, I think I've probably I've probably played pipes to accompany snare solos more than I've soloed myself on pipes. Oh, yeah? And, and I don't... And that's not because I chose it. Because <laughs> it's more like just there's a need that day, you know? But I feel like that's more stressful. than I would rather solo by myself than be somebody's accompanist. Because if you screw it up, you screw it up for your friend, <laughs> you know? That's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's stressful. that's what people say. But I haven't done that yet. It, it also seems to me like not only do I feel silly for not even knowing how a tenor drum solo goes, but just like that sounds so spectator friendly, you know, to it's a, a little trio of music, you know, not 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 that, you know, but pipes all by themselves aren't fun. Of course, I like that. But, you know, speaking of, you know, having the mandolin and the djembe and stuff, is just fun. You know, that a little a little trio that that would be right where I'd want to be on competition day. That sounds like a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, and watch, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, and um in our 
in our tenor drum solos, we do get judged a little bit on our, our flourishing, too. Oh, so, of course, yeah. Um, like in the band circle, you're not judged on that. And so it gives us an opportunity to to show off four points, you know? Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty darn ignorant when it comes to flourishes. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you some really, probably, probably very rudimentary questions about flourishing. Um, okay. Mostly, I'm just curious, like, I, I guess... I'm not even sure what questions to ask other than this is the main thing in my head is I've, I've always kind of wondered like from band to band, is there a difference in the standard flourishes you'll see, or is that so standardized that it's going to be the same everywhere? And from there, when you go to solo, is it smiled upon to kind of come up with your own stuff, your own variations on flourishes, or is that frowned upon? You need to do it like it needs to be precisely the right way. Hmm. All right. So, as far as competition sets, um, every band has a different set of flourishes, and I mean, it's they're all basically the same movements at the at the very base level. You know, we all have an in-out spin and a inside-forward spin, mm. and I mean, we those are those are like the oh black and white way to call them. You know, it's mm-hmm. you're spinning in and inside and then outside, right? Um, but in Wasatch and District, we call that an A-frame. We call the inside forward spin a cartwheel. Um, other bands might call them pinwheels or just ins and outs. You know, they hmm. we all have different names for these movements, but we all know all of the movements. Yeah. At least once we get up into the grade two, grade one level. Um, so each band has their own set of flourishes, um, but... Uh, in mass bands, um, just recently we've been we've been uh, doing you know the Anapaba mass band setting to yeah. to get it all uniform in between all of the bands in Anapaba. Right. Um, and so now we have a set of flourishes that we can all all of the tenor drummers like at Pleasanton can look the same. We can all be mm. just as uniform as each other and. And it, I think it really, I mean, last year we didn't do such a good job at it, but when we get it, when we all, all of the bands get it, um, it will look really amazing. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I'm imagining it. I mean, there's always got to be room at mass bands. You know, you can't have your expectations too high, right? That's a lot of individual people, but still, I'm sure it's going to look awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so, but then um, yeah, when you when you like when it's just you soloing or just your band solo, just your band competing, how, how much are you jazzing it up and being unique? So, in solos, we try to be as flashy and jazzy as we can. Yeah, you, know, you wanna. That's where you you can throw in all of your extra stuff in in the band circle. You still have to match your other tenor drummers. Sure, so yeah. You try and write right flourishing that um that everyone can do and that can everyone can make look good i mean because like sometimes you can do a movement but you just can't make it look good Mm -hmm. so we try we try and narrow it down to to things that will really look uniform we're we're going for a very uniform look yeah in the band circle but um i could play a band tune i could play a band set as my solo set and I'll just change up the flourishing a bit to add things that I look really good doing, mm. you know? So. 
What what do you feel like is the muscle group that's most taxed when playing the tenor drum? Like, is a lot of that in your wrist? I your hand your arms are up so much. I've got to imagine your arms are going to sleep and your shoulders are getting exhausted. <laughs> well, they come down so much too. Yeah, fair enough. But, they don't spend all their time in the air, um, do they? <laughs> yeah, definitely our our shoulders. That's, yeah, that's where that's where you feel it a lot. Um, our wrists, they're. I mean, they move a lot, but they're not, uh, they don't have to hold, I don't know, strength. You don't have to use your wrist strength as much as you do your shoulder strength. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you start having shoulder pain, then you start worrying, am I going to, am I even going to be able to flourish <laughs> this year, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> but it'll, it, it, it all works out, I guess. I don't know. We have. We That's, have a player in our band that does shoulder tape um, during rehearsals during the summer, and then and uh, she do, she does really good. Yeah. At the end, like at, at competitions and stuff. In, in spite of that. Well, I, I imagine it's very relatable to the to the fear and anxiety that pipers have about things like you know focal dystonia and stuff like that affecting their fingers. You know. Um, yeah. Yep. Indeed, the you know the the parallel I think is probably a clear one um, between you know the flourishing and the embellishments that are played on pipes. Um, that I mean that's part of why I wondered. Um, you you know how it just like the embellishments you can play on on your pipes. Of course, if you're playing by yourself for fun, you can kind of make stuff up and you know kind of kind of get funky. But um, if you're playing in a band, you know a doubling is a doubling, a grip is a grip. You know it's very like right, locked down. Them. You play them differently in a band than you do in a solo. Right, you know? right. Yep. So, yeah. so it's very similar to that, yeah. Right. Yeah, super cool. So so then what about the, the mallets themselves? Because I feel like I've seen, like some of them I see are like so fluffy. It's like the the cutest creature from Sesame Street, you know? But but others are <laughs> more like a heart. from Star Trek, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what they look like, yeah. Um, but then others seem like they, they have a, you know, they're just, they're just built different. They look like they're probably heavier, probably tighter, and not nearly as much fluff going on. Is this mostly sound, mostly looks? Um, do you have an optimum weight for the flourishes and is there a range in weight that you could purchase? You know, so it's like, I want some heavy ones. I want some medium ones, that kind of thing. Yeah, there is not weight options. There's different weights between makers. And so like some people really like tie fry. Um, some people like, uh, Jordan Bailey's, some people like on Dante, like, and they, they do feel different between mallet makers but yeah you can't go to one mallet maker and say i want heavy mallets or light mallets you know gotcha is it the same um, for the length of the stick does that also vary or is that locked down that i think i know of one maker that will give you short sticks versus long long sticks but huh. most of them are just all of their mallets are are that that length whatever length they have um and they're all pretty pretty similar in between mm-hmm like comparing makers, you know. Yeah. Um, as far as fluffiness, I think that's uh, just down to how new the mallets are. Oh, really? The fluffier they are. They so don't, uh, the ones that I've seen that look less fluffy, they're just older, or older mallets is all. They've just been used <laughs> yeah. for a couple more seasons. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. 
Yeah, just in the, like, right before COVID, we got some new mallets for our pipe band, and we set rules, like, these are your competition and your performance mallets. Uh, yeah. Don't use them at practice, you know? We just want them to look good for as long as we can get them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you, do, do, do you ever, um, do you ever, have you ever seen bass drummers who do flourishes? Oh, yeah. I think it's I, awesome. I think it's so cool, too, and I, and it's, uh. So I've wondered before, though, like, to, to, to be able to pull that off, you know, is this most likely an, an accomplished tenor drummer who's now applying their, their learned skills to the bass drum? I, I don't know. I'm feeling so ignorant right now, Liesl, Liesl but, um, like, like, I don't even know. Or is that a thing that, like, bass drummers can learn? Like, do, is there a book of flourishes for bass drum, bass drum mallets, just like there's a book of flourishes for tenor drum mallets, you know? Yeah, I, you know, not that I know of. I don't think there is a... A class you could take on bass drum flourishing hmm. and i don't know i have no idea if the bass drummers that do flourish if they're former tenor drummers or anything yeah um i know our our bass drummer in the grade four vivian dearden she she's a tenor drummer originally but she doesn't do flourishes aside from like doing a big swoop above her head every now and then you know mm-hmm. um but, I mean, I think it looks really cool. You do have to, like, get used to wearing strings on your hands if they do that. Right, um, yeah. Which is which is a different thing altogether, versus, like, holding a mallet versus letting a mallet fly and then being able to catch it. Especially yeah. Especially it's so big, like the bass mallet. Right, I'd be worried about my, my wrist health. <laughs> you catch it and yeah. it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. I, I've watched the tenor yeah, drummers twist up. like like I've watched tenor drummer um, students before in like the instructor showing them like how to wrap the string around knuckles and stuff like that. Is that something that each tenor drummer will do differently? They'll just figure out you know how many wraps around the middle finger versus the pointer, et cetera, to get it just right. Or is that something that like is kind of established? Like everybody does it the same way. Oh yeah, that's a good question. I know of two ways hmm. that you can tie your mallets to your fingers um there might be more but i've only seen anybody wearing them one of these two ways you could um start the knot on your pinky and then cross over the strings and put it on your ring finger um and then you put it behind your middle finger and on top of your pointer Mm. so that was the way that i started in 2016 but then after a couple years um now i I do it the other way, which I think is more comfortable, um, which is you pull the pull the knot of the strings up between your pinky and your ring finger, and then you bring it back over those two fingers, so you've created kind of like a oh a Celtic knot kind of. That's kind thing. of that's kind of fun, yeah. And then behind your middle finger and on top of your pointer. So I mean, either way, it's got to go behind your middle finger and on top of your pointer, because mm-hmm. your pointer's like the the pivot point for the ball of your mallet at the end of the stick. You know? Right, that makes sense. Um, so I know uh, I know a lot of people like it the first way, and a lot of people like it the second way, and you just play with it to see like how does it how does it work for me? You know, it's not a standard thing. We don't declare everybody must use this other way, mm-hmm. this this special knot. You know, because it doesn't look any different in your flourishes. You know? Right, right. But um, I do tie my strings symmetrical. I tie the knots symmetrical so that I have a left-hand mallet and a right-hand mallet. And oh, that interesting! A lot. So like if, if I get them on the wrong head, I can't. I can't do my flourishes. Yeah, you can tell the difference, huh? 
Yeah. That is interesting. The um, I, I feel like I, I, I'm so ignorant of, of all this stuff. I, I don't know much about harnesses either. Um, mm-hmm. But I've seen tenor drums dropped before because of a hook-in harness. And so, like, then when a step was taken, it popped off of the hook, you know? Oh, yeah. Is that yeah. is that kind of the harness, or do you have other options for tenor drums that wouldn't that wouldn't be as likely to drop the drum? <laughs> yeah, so, and the hook... Um, sometimes the hook is on the harness and it hooks onto the drum. Sometimes the drum has the hook and it hooks onto your harness. Uh. Um, you know, there's not just one type of harness either. Some people wear just an over-the-shoulder strap and that's that's all yeah you know in our in our pipe band most of us have the over the shoulder but then also around the hips yeah strap and um that has a a hoop that the hook on our drum connects to um but we also have like a a clamp clip thing Mm. um that you can open up and hook onto something too uh if, yeah, I I don't see people's drums falling off very often in our band, especially. But, uh, yeah, I imagine that that would happen if you have, especially if you're wearing your drum too low or too high, and like your knee is pushing up on your drum out of out of the harness too. That's that's the situation where I feel like I've seen it most is like usually in a parade setting and like maybe the drummer's trying to make an adjustment or something like that too and it's when the knee comes along the knee kind of pushes it up and out and then it tumbles pushes it right out yeah yeah, yeah parades are really hard for tenor drummers and uh, yeah it seems like not not a great setup for walking yes. you know <laughs> yeah you have to walk differently so my first parade I I walked normal with my tenor drum bouncing on my knee and I thought it was fine but at the end of the parade I had like a six inch bruise on my left knee oh yeah from from just the drum bouncing on it it didn't feel like it was it didn't hurt yeah much but apparently it was trauma enough to create a really ugly bruise I'd imagine it would wear a spot in your kilt too which nobody wants yeah I mean eventually uh, over time right yeah I would say that first parade too I had my kilt kept like riding up on that knee. Oh yeah, the drum like, would just push it up it out of the way. It was really difficult keeping my kilt straight. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things you, 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 ex- you, you need to learn how to deal with it through experience. But, yeah. Yeah. After that, I started walking in parades differently. You kind of walk with kind of a big right step, and then a little left step, big right step, and so at the end of parades, my hips are all out of whack. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. How funny <laughs> I've been walking. This is kind of a pick your poison situation. <laughs> Right. Uh, I was feeling bad for the bass drummer. I think I feel worse for the tenor drummers now. <laughs> yeah, at least the bass drummers can walk. Can walk straight. Yeah. They might they might trip over stuff because they can't see where they're going, but at least they can walk straight. <laughs> oh, yeah. It takes a lot of trust in your band members. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Uh, now, now, what about, um, like, what... what, what I kind of want to go back a little bit. How did your parents react when you first said, hey... I've got to play bagpipes. Um, I don't really remember. Mm. I feel like it was, it was not something that was like, oh, this is so exciting, or oh my gosh, this is going to cost so much money. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It was, uh, to be fair, back then my parents were incredibly busy with a a home business that they had, and so it was, it was like. 
Not to mention a few kids. They had a few kids to handle, too. They had a few kids. (laughs) Maybe to some degree, it's like, Liesl, go do what you want. We're busy. (laughs) Right. Right, yeah. And and my mom even had another kid, like, two years after I started playing, too. So it was, you know, they... They had their own stuff to deal with. They just were happy that I wasn't getting into trouble. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I think to some degree we could relate to each other, Lisa. I my, my parents only had seven kids, so they they weren't they weren't too crazy, right? Only. <laughs> yeah, only seven. seven. <laughs> but the seventh was born when I was seventeen. Yeah. Maybe going on eighteen, you know, and so it's kinda like you know, at, at at to some degree at some point I think the oldest kid does in fact, the the fifth child um, called me mom for for quite a while, and I'm not oh, yeah. I'm not trying to say anything negative about my parents. They were busy, you know. But after five kids, and you know, the, I think the fifth was born when I was like fifth, fourteen, maybe. I remember one time my dad was carrying him around, and he was just crying and screaming because he didn't want my dad. And he saw me, and he went, "Mom!" and reached for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. so just at at some point, the oldest right is like. Yeah, doing their own thing, and they kind of need to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think my parents were really, uh, it was a blessing for them that I was so independent. I yeah, I think necessary, huh? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I certainly helped out with my siblings. And Hello, friends. Just a quick note to make you aware, this podcast is something that I love doing, and I will keep doing it no matter what, but if you want to send me money, I won't say an A. The easiest way to do that is through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. We do regular drawings for bagpipey albums, books, sheet music, and more, including Droning On swag. All patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn. And there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There you can find droning on stuff, as well as other pipey and drummy things that my uh, that my friends and I make. And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of, off of you, my friends, uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning On Podcast. And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. Did any of your siblings pick up the pipes or drums? Um, no. Yet? They're, I had, I know, right? <laughs> my, uh, my youngest sibling is uh, going to be 20 this year, mm-hmm. and um, so far none of them have, I mean, they've, they've shown dabbling interest in it. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have one brother that came to a few Scottish festivals with me, and he thought that was really cool. But then, uh, nothing ever came of that. And I have another brother that, another drummer, brother, another brother that tried to learn tenor drum, mm-hmm. like years before I started learning. And uh, I guess he was experiencing wrist pain while he was trying to learn, and so mm. he just dropped it, you know. But outside of that, all of my siblings. Well, there's, not, I don't know. there's always the maybe someday. My, maybe my, mine someday. also, I, I also have had no siblings take it up 
some some showing dabbling interest but yeah that's about it yeah yeah do any of your siblings play other musical instruments yeah i've got a brother who plays trombone believe it or not oh nice, <laughs> nice. And, and most nice. of them have picked up like piano and stuff like that um I have one sister who got pretty darn good on the cello, but, uh, but yeah, I haven't been able to convince any of them to, to play bag, bagpipes or pipe drums. Yeah. Oh. Well, they already know a piper, so they don't need to be it, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But like, what kind of, what, what do you feel like is the, the general reaction of your closest friends and family, you know, sort of like these days, you know, do you have enthusiastic people who love to hear you play every time you see them or is it kind of old news at this point? Uh, they, well, I don't know. I think it's a mix. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sometimes like I, to family reunions, I try and bring my bagpipes, and so I, I play a little bit, and they're all happy to see that. You know, I have one uncle that says that the bagpipes are the worst sound in the world, and so there you go. You got to have one of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> try not to play where he's at. I think um, somebody used me to play a prank on him when I was like a couple years into playing bagpipes yeah. and uh i feel like that's put a little bit of a damper between us oh no <laughs> our relationship isn't that good anymore i was like 16 <laughs> years old come on <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny though <laughs> just used as a pawn <laughs> oh well it's, um, isn't it funny the variety of human experience you can have when encountering the bagpipes though think about that first experience you had that was like such a you know like a transcendent life-changing experience in a positive way and yeah. how for some people and it was a high school band too right <laughs> yeah but for some folks they, they could they, good they, yeah some people could hear sfu and still be like nope that's the worst sound in the world oh yeah yeah it's a uh, i don't know are our eardrums all different right yeah. <laughs> we experience sound differently just like we experience taste differently yeah Ooh, you, you ever you ever get deep into into one of those like thought cycles where it's like wait like how how do i know that what i see is what other people see you know oh, <laughs> like, yeah. how do i know oh, that yeah. what i look like in the mirror is even what i look like <laughs> right <laughs> right and with with cell phone selfies not flipping the image either like you can see it and it's like oh yeah that's what i look like in the mirror right yeah um, but then you're like, wait a minute, that's not actually what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, yep. Liesl, if if money were no object, do you have any um, piping and drumming related like dream vacations or, or trips or schools you'd want to go to or instruments, you know, uh, awesome instrument setups? Like, you know, if I give you a blank check to be used on generally piping and drumming stuff, where would you go first? Hmm. Um, I think first thing I would do would buy myself a set of moral bagpipes. They make some pretty pipes. Knows, yeah. And they look really good. Yeah. Uh, I do can't you, honestly I, tell the difference between the sound of moral bagpipes and my, uh, McCallums. I just, they, they all sound but, the same. But the look is great, sounds. right? Yeah, it looks really, really good. Do you, do you already have like a like a fantasized setup? Like you'd have like dark wood on this part and light wood on the other, or anything like that, or was it just like in general you'd like something that looks cool? Uh, it's mostly in general, but now that you're asking about that, I think it would be really cool. I don't even know if it's possible, but I would want every piece to be a different color wood. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got to be know possible. How it would sound. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
You might unlock some <laughs> some really fascinating new sounds there. Yeah, who knows? Maybe yeah. the resonance yeah. from one thing to the other, right? Oh, yeah, it, it might it might be really cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> if I had a blank check, that's probably the only thing I'd do. Um, in 2004, I went, like, the Ben Lomond pipe band did take a trip to Scotland and um, played in the in the world championship and and stuff and so i feel like so i've cool. already done that yeah <laughs> but i mean it would be cool to go again but it's not like super high on my bucket list mm-hmm. so yeah. what, what about um what about other hobbies or interests or even obligations other than piping and drumming what takes up time in your day mm. or energy in your head too you know like what other, what else is oh, drawing yeah. you everything right so, <laughs> outside of pipe band i have uh i have three kids um my oldest is 15 and my youngest is eight so so liesel um i gotta say uh only three <laughs> yeah i know i know i it's i didn't have a whole lot of control over that though uh so my second kid was diagnosed with cancer when she was two and a half Oh man! Um, and so for a little bit there, we were, we were, not trying to have more kids. That's I'm sure that's a lot of intense, <laughs> intense attention on on the kid you already have for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but we did, we did end up having my third um, about six months before she passed away, mm. before my second passed away, and so, but then after that. Um, I don't know, biologically it's been difficult to have more kids, um, and so we're just at this point where we have a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old, and everything seems right, Yeah. you know? Well, right is right. I, I've, I've, always, I've always thought it was interesting to consider what the children from large families end up doing in that way, you know? Um, yeah. If it if the experience of having a large family makes you go, well, that's what I want too, or if the experience of having a large family makes you go, I think it might be nice to just you know two or three, and you know, and kind of, or or the opposite, you know, does a does a someone who grew up as an only child, you know, dream of having twelve kids someday? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, and everybody's everybody's got, I guess, based on their experience growing up. I uh, I always loved the large family dynamic it's mm-hmm. it's felt right and i like i have oh 15 new like aunts and uncles yeah plus their spouses so i've got like 30 you know thanksgiving uh, is is a, a massive affair i'm sure it's amazing i love it so much yeah and so like going into going into having kids i'm like yeah it'd be great to have like 10 or 15 kids you know but, yeah you know, life doesn't always give you what you want. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. and I certainly wouldn't mean in any way to be dismissive of, of how surely, like, unimaginably difficult it is to lose a child, of course. And so, in saying this, I don't mean to be dismissive of that, but I it, it does seem to me like there's a a sense of fullness or completeness that doesn't seem to necessarily have a number attached, you know? And so maybe that, maybe that happens when you hit 12 kids for some people, and maybe it happens when you have one for some people, and maybe it happens without even having kids for some people, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. 
Now, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, um, yeah. Right now, though, um, what's been taking up so much of my brain space is uh, building a house. Oh, with wow! My, with my brothers. My brothers are in construction, and so they started their own construction company, and my house was their first big project. And uh, so I've been, like, when I say building a house, I mean, like, I'm holding, I bought a nailer. You're putting the sweat equity, they call it, into the house, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm the one that painted the waterproofing on the the foundation. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, there's, it's been a, a wild ride, and I don't. I mean, I, I imagine we'll be done with it by June of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever want to build a house again. I was, I was going to ask you, so is this the kind of thing that if you'd known what it would be like, you never would have done, but now you're in it, so you yeah. have to finish it? <laughs> I definitely would have just bought a house. Yeah. <laughs> but you Are, know what? I mean, I'm coming out of it with a lot of experience and oh, a lot yeah. of lessons learned, and so... Well, and can you imagine, like, I I live in a house that was built in the early 60s, and so it's a lot of repairs, a lot of fixing all the time. And one of the hard things is it's always a surprise, because I don't, well, at this point, I have a decent idea of what's behind most of the walls, because I've had to do so many repairs, right? But initially, it's like, I don't even know what's back there, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know how they built it. I don't know what repairs have been made since then and stuff like that. You have had this clear vision and even hands-on experience with every single little piece of your house. So imagine yeah. what a great position you'll be in to maintain it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if I ever have to move out, I'll leave the next owners like a photo book. Of yeah. All the photos I've taken. <laughs> oh man. This is what's, this is what kind of insulation we used, you know, and this is what's under the slab in the basement. Oh, <laughs> you need that's, to know this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a dream situation right there to have all that info. Um, yeah. Do we, have you been? Are you building close, like in this a similar neighborhood to where you have where you're living right now, or are you making a big move? No, it's it's pretty close. I mean, it's still in Ogden, um, just a little bit more south Mm -hmm. farther south um was that on purpose to get closer to the band hall (laughs) yes (laughs) right no we just uh my husband has dreams of like making making it big in some business or something some venture and then building the pipe band a band hall and everybody everybody has that dream oh yes me too yeah it it will definitely be in ogden (laughs) we'll move the band up to ogden if you if you build something like that, I might move up to Ogden and, and come audition because that would be awesome. We'll have a dedicated band hall. Yeah, yeah, that'd be something. I've heard. I, I I understand that there was once a Celtic Center, maybe not all that long ago, a Celtic Arts Center in Salt Lake that was a place for bagpipes and dancing and all kinds of stuff like that. Really? I, I wish there was something like that today. Yeah, just I I, I think maybe. Maybe the Barclays had something to do with it. I, I, I don't really know exactly. Yeah, but sense. But yeah, it was some, something, you know, multiple rooms, and so you could have lessons, performances, that kind of stuff going on there. I, ne- I never went myself, you know, like I said, I just have heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and when I was in high school, we were playing, we were, our instruction was coming from the Salt Lake Scots, mm-hmm. and so part of, part of that whole arrangement was that our high school members would also go down and play like parades and stuff with oh yeah yeah um and so 
Um, I remember going to there, the McMaster's shop, and and doing like rehearsals in their back rooms and stuff, too. Well, maybe it was them that were running it. I'm not sure. I, I, I got to find somebody who can give me the the lowdown on this because it's something I've heard of but don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh, I've always wanted to hear more about, like, all of the history of piping, the, the recent history of piping in the northern Utah area, you know, it sounds, it's just a really interesting thing to think about. Yeah, to learn about. interesting, fun, and it, I, you get the feeling that there might be some juicy drama in there, too, and that's always Certainly, fun. That's my favorite part about, <laughs> like, band trips, is you ride in the rental vans with yeah. everybody else, and you get to hear all of the drama. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, um, do you have a song or tune, and I'm thinking pipes here, of course, uh, no offense to tenor drum, but do you have one that is, like, that is, like often requested? that uh like do you feel like is is your most often requested tune um well i mean aside from like highland cathedral or amazing grace right or scout and the brave <laughs> uh i don't think i don't think anybody really knows any like of other tunes anybody that would be requesting me to play tunes that's the tricky thing with this art form isn't it (laughs) i think for most people who don't play it all sounds about the same doesn't it yeah i do feel like i've noticed more than one person in my life as well as in the life of some other pipers who i've talked with uh the pumpkin's fancy seems to be like different enough that if people like it they can remember oh there's that one about the pumpkin play that one you know yeah probably because of the slides like Wicked Tinker's playing it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yes, I really like that one. Yeah. It's just, it, it adds another level of uniqueness to what bagpipes already are. You know? Yeah, yeah. But but what about you, Liesl? Do you have any absolute favorite tunes? Um, I guess I want to ask you this in maybe three parts. Uh, first, do you have any tunes that you've been playing ever since the beginning and they still are just great? You never got tired of them? Second, do you have any tunes that maybe you've picked up more recently that you're really excited about? You know, maybe you learned a, a, a you know, a, a Lincoln Hilton tune or something, you know, something more recently that you're like, ah, oh, I really love this one. I just recently learned it and I'm jazzed about it. And then thirdly, what's at the top of your list for tunes you want to learn someday? Um, so that's, I'm going to give you boring answers. <laughs> Bring it on. Like, yeah, my, uh, as far as tunes, it's not, I, I mean, yeah, tunes are fun to play, but I don't like hear tunes and say, I must learn that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, I just, I learn tunes. I'm a pretty good uh, sight reader, and so it's a different experience for me, I think, where, like, I put a tune in front of my face and I play it through, and then I'm bored with it. Like, mm. okay, obviously I can play that tune. I. <clears throat> I'm I'm envious of you. I I know people like that. That's a that's a cool skill set to have. Yeah, and like higher grade tunes, I do have to go a bit slower. But then, like once I play through it, it's like okay, the level is beat. What do I do now? Yeah. Where do yeah. I go? Um. Uh, let's see. What was the second part of your question? Um, if you've picked any tunes up recently, uh, that you're real excited about, maybe maybe I don't know, new stuff for the band season or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, not really. I haven't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not lately, at least. Um, every now and then, like, I was learning Cock of the North for solos oh, yeah. for a little bit, and that was pretty exciting. Um, I heard 
somebody say that, oh yeah, everybody plays that or something like that. And uh, I'm like, well, who cares? I'll have fun with it. That's a great but, tune, though. Yeah. You know what, Liesl? I just like two weeks ago, I got my first ever request to play that tune for a funeral. For a funeral? Yeah. <laughs> Which it's like, well, when the customer like actually knows a tune by name and requests it, it's like, yeah. of course I'll do it. But I was also like, really? You want that for the funeral? And this this person was like, yeah, it's somehow tied to the family or something like that. Like he had some genealogy reason for wanting it played. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you bet. Oh, <laughs> it was awesome. a nice break from Amazing Grace for me. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, I did I did pick up a tin whistle a couple of years ago. Oh, cool, yeah. Really liking that. Uh, one thing that I used to always like doing was playing just any other song, any old song that I could hear on mm-hmm. my channel, like trying to see if I could make it sound good. Sure. Know, like songs I hear on the radio. Yeah. Christmas songs, church hymns, you know. Absolutely, so, yeah. Picking up the tin whistle has been a lot like that, uh, just playing things that I hear on that. And that's that's been more exciting than learning new bagpipes tunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lately. I, I think it makes sense. I've, 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 been, I've been feeling like we, we ought to all be advocating for all pipers to pick up whistles for a long time, just because it's such a natural it's such a natural thing to do and it just kind of expands what you can play with, you know, for fun. Yeah. But I also, I hadn't until really recently understood why some of my Piper friends, like I'd ask them the question, like if your house is burning down, what instrument do you grab? You know, or if you're on a desert Island and you can only have one instrument, what would it be? And these are Pipers who play Uh Illin pipes and Highland pipes and, and all all kinds of pipes, you know, and I would have thought one of those more expensive, impressive sets of pipes. Right. And it seemed like a lot of people were saying whistles. Right? Even Ross Ainsley, I asked him that question, and he said, oh, whistles for sure. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, all right, well, maybe I should consider the whistle more carefully, you know, like, take it more seriously than just thinking, like, oh, it's a fun thing that you can do on the side. Which, of course, it can be both things, you know. But Yeah, I wonder what the theory behind that is. Yeah, isn't that why, interesting? Why do people pick that? Well, and it's like... It's easy to play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, it's got more range, you know. Yeah, it fits in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> now, you can't so, do that with your bagpipes. <laughs> that's no, no, that's for sure. <laughs> someday we need we need some more innovators in the uh, you know uh, alternative methods for making bagpipes space or something. Some telescoping drones <laughs> oh. or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> the um and so no pressure then if if you don't have any uh in mind. But are, do you have any tunes in mind that you think to yourself like I'd like to learn that someday? Um, I want to. This is back from my high school days mm-hmm. again. I want to learn Hellbound Train with two other pipers. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I want to play that. I know that... I mean, some people some people have talked down on Hellbound Train, or maybe it's overused or something like that, but it's... Uh, I saw it performed with a drum set and, and three pipers, and I thought it was really, really cool. Yeah. And so, like, that would be... That'd be something someday I'd like to do you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think i don't know i have to get two other pipers that are interested in learning yeah it, so. <laughs> i was gonna say i think i think that mike swan has learned it before he's uh-huh. up he, he plays with the grade two band right now and like yeah. amongst so many i mean wasatch and district has so many people in it like surely there's there's got to be some more people in there who have played it before who could brush it, the dust off of it you know and and join yeah. you there's got to be yeah 
So yeah, sa- sa- same same year, par- par- concert in the park, uh, you know, trombone and bagpipe duet and Hellbound Train. Got to make that happen, huh? <laughs> in the same year, it'd be the Liesel Show. Come on. The Liesel Show. Fun. Absolutely. <laughs> let's, co- let's call it that that year. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, now, do you, um, do you, when you practice, do you have a really understanding partner and children, or do you have to go to a park or something to get your pipes and drum out? Uh, oh, and my husband is incredibly supportive of my piping, mm-hmm. and my kids don't cover their ears and scream or anything when you, I play. You've acclimatized them to it, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, a uh, it's. It's a very nice environment within my space here for practicing. Yeah. Um, I do live in an apartment, so I try not to practice as much um, here mm-hmm. anyway, though. Which inevitably means that I don't practice as much as I should on my pipes. Yeah. I play on my chanter quite a bit more than I do on my pipes because I don't want to... I don't want to upset my neighbors. But when we get the house finished, I've pretty much soundproofed my basement so i'll be playing a, a lot more when we get in there that's so cool I, so that did that go into the consideration as you were designing things like and where am i gonna play my bagpipes mm, double insulation oh, around this room oh yeah oh, that's yeah. awesome <laughs> it was it was a big part of my planning is like i need to be able to play music in this house without yeah. having anybody shout out their window shut up right you know <laughs> Do you, but, when you're, when you're practicing tenor drum, do you get enough bounce out of a, a practice pad to be able to do the flourishes and stuff? Or is it really not like, do you really need to get on the drum to get solid practice in on the tenor? Uh, it's, it does feel differently on the tenor. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there, there is a type of practice pad that I found works pretty well, just as well. It's just the hard part is getting it to the right level in front of you oh sure yeah and the drum is you know where like the practice pad is where your drum would normally be um but that's really only when you're trying to work on your tone and Mm. your approach to the drum flourishes can be done off the back of a chair or or oh okay it's like yeah like we're just you just try and get yourself in front of a mirror so you can see your flourishes up in the air Mm -hmm. so it's tenor drum practice is kind of a two-part thing you have the note part you've got the notes that you need to work on with the tone and the accents and and stuff but then you've also got how does my flourishing look yeah so the do you do you guys in in the in the in the band you're playing with right now do you do the multi-tone tenor drums or is everybody tuned to the same yeah you do huh no we have a we're we're tuned um we're tuned differently the higher yeah the higher drums are higher and the lower the bigger drums are lower yeah you know so it's in intervals uh determined by the the drum sergeant um i know in other pipe bands uh especially in grade one pipe bands the tenor drummer the lead tenor drummer decides what what tones her drummers have Mm -hmm. his drummers i guess i don't know um they they decide what their what their notes are and what tones they play and and in addition to what flourishing they do, but in Wasatch we have uh, the drum sergeant determines the notes and the pitches, but then the lead tenor gets to 
right the flourishing. Hmm. Gotcha. Now, and wh- every now and then, the drum sergeant will like veto some of the flourishing. That just doesn't fit with the snares, you know. <laughs> so we have to change things occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> the snares get to decide. Oh, that makes sense. Huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what What you said there, though, Lisa, reminded me that like I, I what What do you think? Do you have you put thought into this? And do you have any ideas behind the? Um, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that like there's a there's a an expectation that in general tenor drummers are girls. What what what's up with that? Why why does it feel that way? I don't even know. Hmm. And I mean, so my experience with male tenor drummers before getting into Wasatch was that they were um well, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody, but all of the male male drummers that I had met before, the male tenor drummers that I met before getting into, getting out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, were homosexual. Yeah, that's <laughs> so. But yeah, like, that, look, we didn't make the, the world that we live in, right? So I, I hope it's clear that ni- yeah, neither you nor I are saying that we want it this way. Just why is it this way? Like what? <laughs> right. But now we have. Um, when I started learning tenor drum in 2016, one of the tenor drummers was male, and and he's he's very much straight, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and now we have another one of our grade two tenor drummers is male, and uh, it's it's just not, you know. I mean, it's like female bagpipers. Yeah, I wonder if there's a relationship there. If like girls couldn't play bagpipes for some reason for a long time, and yeah. so what else could they do? They got funneled over to tenor drumming. Yeah, something like that, I guess. The I flourishes are pretty, that. and girls do pretty things. Maybe <laughs> someone should write a book. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The history of tenor drumming. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's nice that more females are getting into bagpipes and oh, totally. more males are getting into tenor drumming. And I mean, you don't see very many female snare drummers. That's that uh, maybe that's the last frontier for inclusion. We you know the the next thing to do, huh? Yeah. <laughs> get get <laughs> get the get get the get the uh the borders broken down around everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think and you know, I'm I'm pretty much against this whole forced uh, anti-discrimination. What what is it? Forced? You yeah. Know, colleges are like we have to have a quotas and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and I'm against that. I think it should just be completely organic. Um, you you bring in to your cores who fits in your cores, and uh, whether that's a male or a female, it's a human, right? Mm-hmm, You're looking mm-hmm. for humans. Yeah, that I think that makes sense as the ideal, you know, that 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 uh race, gender, orientation wouldn't even be a consideration. It just uh it just happens organically. And and maybe that's yeah. what we see more and more with piping and tenor drumming now. Like I feel like we you know, everybody has the view of their own lifespan, of course, you know, so you can't really see very far before you are born nor after you'll die, right? But it feels kind of like we maybe are straddling a time of shift where uh it's it's perfectly not only is it okay for girls to play bagpipes if you were to bring it up pretty soon it probably would be weird that you're even asking the question right because it would be like yeah. what what do you mean right because it because it because goal. it becomes organic right and so maybe in a similar way that's happening with tenor drumming and and snare drumming as well right 
Yeah, yeah. So I think one thing we need is more of the female pipers to become instructors, mm. to start teaching. Because Representation matters. Give, well, yeah, well, and that will give uh, young girls a more comfortable place to learn. You know, because, it, it, I mean, biologically, being a young girl in the presence of an older man is a bit scary. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So. Well, and there's there's also this thing that, I, so I have three boys and one girl, and I've asked all my kids, like, I don't want to force any of them, you know, but, like, I bring it up pretty regularly, like, hey, you're going to play bagpipes when you get older, you know? <laughs> and uh, some of them, you know, they warm to it and they cool to it, and right now my oldest is kind of learning, and so maybe I'll get some of them to learn, you know? But my daughter has yeah. always said no, like, kind of adamantly, no, she wasn't going to learn to play bagpipes. Um, and then I showed her some of Piper Alley's videos and one sitting, watching a few of those videos, I asked her, Hey Marin, do you think you want to play bagpipes someday? And she turned to me and grinned and said, yes. Right. And so seeing yourself in the thing definitely makes a difference. You know, like, I don't know how many girls she'd seen playing bagpipes, you know, maybe that's why she said no. Maybe there was an unspoken assumption in her, her sweet child brain that like, well, no, because people like me don't do that, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, well, and now I'm thinking of uh, male tenor drummers, too, though. I mean, there's there's Ty Fry, and I saw of course, I yeah. one, of his, uh, one of his early competition videos from when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> there, half of the other half of the other drummers he was playing with were male. Mm-hmm. So maybe this perception of there's not very many male tenor drummers, maybe that's a United States thing. Maybe yeah. in Europe it's a bit more balanced. That's a good point. Know. That's a good point. The tradition is maybe still somewhat underdeveloped in some ways here for, for various reasons. Somewhat newer, maybe just a smaller a smaller grouping of the population is in it as well. And so it's uh, kind of maybe there's some barriers for pre-selection already at play. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Liesl, do you have any favorite uh, pipers, drummers, uh, pipe bands, or even trad groups kind of in this space to listen to? You know, just for, for fun listening when you're driving around and stuff like that? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, so I have the one of SFU's concert, like live at New York or whatever. Oh yeah, the I think the big CDs. ones are the Carnegie Hall and the and the Sydney Opera House, right? Yeah. So it must have been Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Um. So I have that CD, and I I enjoy listening to that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can um. That's one thing I can hear is my the stereo in my car. Um, I had a I had a Dodge Durango where this that album sounded beautiful and mm. like I could put it in and it would be like yes everything is in tune. There's no like variation in wavelengths or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But now the two cars that we drive, uh, the stereo systems aren't that great, and so I can't listen to that CD in the car. Oh darn it! They're holding a long note, and it sounds like they're just up and down. With oh the man, it's, it's awful. Yeah, it's awful. So that's now a headset only CD. <laughs> headset only listening. <laughs> yeah, because I can't, I can't listen to it in the car anymore. Yeah, I've, I've wondered like to what degree that's. A problem specific for bagpipes or if we just pay more attention to it because we listen to bagpipes more closely and carefully but I've also noticed that like on streaming platforms 
some of them, there's something about the, the streaming rate or something that bagpipes don't sound good. And you can listen yeah. to the exact same track on a, on a different service. Or if you download it and listen to the file directly, it sounds great. But there's something uh-huh. about streaming it at a certain quality, something. There's something that goes wrong there that just does not sound nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's very real. Like, it's that's that's it, happening, you know. And I've known some, like, audiophiles who only download their music in FLAC format because they can hear yeah. the difference, like, on their, you know, versus the CD. Right. Playing off their CD versus playing it from their computer, you know, they yeah. need flack, you know. <laughs> yep, totally. I I dig it, and I feel like it's it's sad too. It's it's unfair in a way because, you know, it it, it might it might contribute to the difficulty in convincing non-pipers to listen to bagpiping. You know, you have to you have to make sure they're listening to it in the right format and with the right set in of speakers. Right you know, and because right. otherwise, <laughs> maybe it won't sound good. You know, and they'd be justified saying, "No, I don't like the way that sounds." You know. <laughs> Right, and you only invite them to the Scottish Festival if you know there's going to be some grade three, grade. Two right. Bands yeah. Totally. The weather's good, and. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, well, we we can't let the art die out. We'll 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 keep it alive. Everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, then, do you have any sort of like you know like I don't want to put any pressure on you, Lisa, to like say something wise or anything like that, right? I mean, feel free to if you want to. But usually okay. these episodes would kind of fade toward an end, you know. Do you have any like um, any advice that you've received that you think was helpful to you in your piping and drumming, or or any suggestions? I mean, and this can be stuff about like here's how to get your burls clean, but it can also be stuff like you know practice practice is good or i don't know what what would you like to say as we fade out is what i'm asking yeah um so the biggest thing that i've learned that i try and tell everybody that i teach is practice makes permanent Mm. so make sure you're practicing correctly (laughs) and yeah if you're practicing it wrong you're it's going to be permanently wrong